Hey guys, my name is Satinda Kanyeri and uh, you're listening to the Unapologetics Podcast. Now the whole purpose of the podcast is to reach out to young people like myself, I'm only 21 years old, um, to talk to them about or have a conversation or start a discussion about particular issues and you know questions that we have about our own faith, specifically talking about Christianity here. And um, yeah, so the whole purpose is so that people can have a platform whereby they can ask questions, they can get answers. And I'm not saying that I know everything, but I'm saying that what I do know, I feel like the Lord has given me the the, um, the ability to talk about these things and to discuss these things so that other people's faith can be edified as well as my own. And um, yeah, after any, after any episode, if you have any questions or anything like that, you can drop them in the comments or, you know, you can message me privately. And yeah, the whole point is to actually have conversations that we're afraid to have um, with ourselves sometimes, or even, you know, you don't feel like you can talk about them in church, be it, um, you know, the historical relevance of Christianity, you know, or, you know, certain issues that you might have with, with what the Bible says, whatever the case may be, you know, I'm here to talk about what I've been able to get from it or get from the word of God, what I've been able to... Um, accumulate as far as knowledge is concerned and to feed that back to people who might need it again i don't know everything so if i don't have answers to your questions i'll simply say i don't know the answer so i'll go and find out the answer i'll go and you know discuss with the people i need to discuss as far as my mentors are concerned and then come back with something that hopefully will satisfy you but yeah this is the unapologetics podcast my name is seneca nyeri and i hope you enjoy Now, before we get started, I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm very clear about my beliefs so that people who are listening can actually understand the the foundation that I'm standing on when they listen to what I talk about. So I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he came and died for my sins. I do not believe Jesus was created, but I believe what John 1 verse, what, what um, the book of John says, which is that Jesus Christ, that the word was and is God, meaning that there was no beginning for Jesus Christ. But I believe he came as flesh, as sinful flesh, so that he may die for our sins, that we may now have communion with the Father. And I also believe that there is no other way to salvation except believing in Jesus Christ. And I believe that um, you cannot work your way into heaven And I also believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are God. I believe in the Trinity. I believe that there are three in one. That the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. However, they are all God. That might be um, confusing for some people to get their heads around, but if you want me to talk about it, you know, leave a comment, and I'll be happy to discuss it. But I'm just prefacing my beliefs so that you understand what it is that um, I'm building my foundation on, and you know you can take everything I say after this, knowing that this is what my bedrock is as far as my beliefs are. Before I begin this episode, I would just like to preface this with the fact that I am not a religious leader, neither do I have a degree in theology, nor am I a philosophical authority. And neither am I saying that anybody who disagrees with me is completely wrong. In this in this episode, I'm merely stating my thoughts and views as far as the word of God is concerned. And hopefully it can help somebody reading this to reconcile their own thoughts and perhaps reach their own conclusions about the matter. I would speak from a Judeo-Christian worldview. So that means that I have specific beliefs that I have that are axiomatic as far as the way that I see the world. 
However, if you do not have this worldview, let's say if you are a Muslim or an atheist or an agnostic, it makes sense as to why you may not agree with what I'm saying here. However, these are essential things as far as my worldview is concerned, which is based on scripture and based on the word, what I believe and what I know to be the word of God. And um, with this specific topic, we're going to be talking about the nature of humanity and the existence of God. So we're going to be talking about why we even believe in God, because this is a question that so many young you know, Christians in the UK have, but then not enough people answer it for them. There's not enough people who actually, you know, talk about why do you believe in God? They just say, oh, it's just by faith. It's just by faith. But then they don't actually talk about the evidence that there is for God. There's no, they don't talk about the evidence that there is as far as, you know, creation or, um, you know, intrinsic value, all these different things. I know there are things that we think about on the surface level, but when you really dig deep into these things, that's when we start to realize that there is, there is what I believe to be very strong evidence for the existence of God. And a lot of it is actually self-evident. So we're going to be talking about that. But um, when I first started thinking about these things, um, I was contemplating my own existence and questioning why I actually believe in the existence of God rather than taking up the position of atheism or agnosticism, because, you know, surely life would be a lot easier if I had taken that route. And, you know, my faith in God, you know, wasn't necessarily shaken when I was thinking about these things. But I am a firm believer in questioning what you believe. Otherwise, you are undoubtedly brainwashed. And so I kept asking myself, does God, does God exist? Does he only care about the lives of humans? And besides the, the Bible, what can I base my belief in, the, belief in the existence of God on? And I'm glad to say that through these series of questions, I have affirmed my belief to an extent that is, you know, more than satisfactory for me to undeniably believe in the ex existence of God, particularly Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And I'll lay out my thoughts and processes for you to come to your own conclusions. So my first line of attack was assessing the nature of humanity on an ex existential level. And out of all the creatures that exist on this earth, through you know the many years of um, animals existing on this earth, humans are the only ones who are able to contemplate their own existence. And by extension, contemplate the existence of something greater than themselves, which we often call God. This idea alone leads me personally to believe that humans are supremely special creatures we, out of, any, out of all living things in existence, have the ability to contemplate God. And to me, that signifies the idea that there is a God, and he is a God that is specifically concerned about the behaviours of human beings, hence why we are able to contemplate him and relate our actions to his existence. Going on from that point, I, I um, have also observed that humans are the only creatures on earth that possess an innate moral compass. And that moral compass, for the most part, dictates what we see as acceptable behavior and how we should treat those around us. I am of the firm belief that this internal compass we are born with is something that does not come from us, but from a higher authority. And I also believe that without the existence of God, the idea of morality wouldn't exist. And I'll use a simple you know, demonstration to explain this idea. If there was no God and no standard for the way people treat other people, then murder would not be wrong. Why would that be? 
If there is no divinely installed moral compass, there is no reason for it to be wrong except in our own opinion. Therefore, making it right in some people's opinions and wrong in others, there will be no objective consensus on the idea of murder being wrong. I hope you're following me. My argument here is not to say that if you don't believe in God, then you are not a moral person. But it is to say that if God does not exist or did not exist, then the idea of objective morality would be a myth. And there will be no such thing as good and evil, bad or good. As I've mentioned, I believe in the God of the Bible, Yahweh, the God of the Jews in the Old Testament and the God of the Christians. I have a Judeo-Christian worldview. And, for, and um, the reason for this extends from the point I made earlier about the fact that humans have the exclusive ability to contemplate God's existence and morality. I believe this is because, to some extent, God has made us similar, God has given us similar characteristics to himself, otherwise known as being made in his image, which is found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. In order for us to have an innate moral compass, God must have an objective moral standard, whether we accept it or not. And in order for us to contemplate God's existence, we must have been made in his image on an internal level. Otherwise, every other animal in the animal kingdom would be able to do the same, but they cannot. And even the very fact that we have the unique ability to imagine, create an event means that the same must also be true of God, as he must be a creator. I believe we are created in the image of, in the image of God, and this is demonstrated in our human nature. And of all the all the main religions in this world that I've that I've come to know of, um, the peculiar thing about Yahweh is that He is the only God that causes His children or says that we are made in His image. We become His children when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, but prior to that, we are made in His image. Now, we're going to read two chapters here, or two verses here, John chapter one, verse twelve. And Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. John chapter 1 verse 12 in the NIV reads, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. This is talking about Jesus Christ here. And Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them if we are unique in our ability to contemplate god morality existence then as far as i'm concerned it is also true that we are created specially by god particularly in the image of god this does not make us gods in our own right but it does mean that in our unique nature we mirror certain characteristics of god Thus, to me, it only makes sense that we are born of his image, making us, and through accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he makes us his children. And the fact that this idea of being made in his image is exhibited only by Yahweh of Israel leads me to believe that he is the God that made me and you. And this goes on, you know, to talk to, to the topic of 
um, sacrifice and reward and the identi- and identifying potential. So, um, you know, essentially what we're talking about here is in eight things that we would, that we experience on an everyday basis and things that you know we we see as mundane but how they actually when you when you look at them on a deeper level show us you know if you're willing to receive it evidence that we are children that we are you know made in the image of god let me not make that mistake and the fact that you know we are we are intrinsically divine in the sense that we have been made in his image. We are different and separate from animals because of that fact. Now, we're going to be talking about, um, for the second part of this, the philosophy of sacrifice and reward and how this links into potential and what God did in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. I hope you're still with me here. <clears throat> the seemingly simplistic ideas behind the process of sacrifice and reward, you know, they've been challenging to me. And I've been attempting to contemplate this process. And it began with a close examination of the story of Cain and Abel, looking into what this story is trying to tell us. And moreover, why is this story being told? What does it actually mean? From the viewpoint of a fundamental Christian, the story of Cain and Abel is the story of the of the first, um, you know, humans as we know them, as you know, they were people. They were the first people to be born through labor into sin, rather than being made by God's hands Himself. Now, even if you don't believe in the Bible, one thing that cannot be disputed is the fact that this book has played a central role to the Western society that we live in now, and the transcendental themes explored throughout it have paved the way to the structures that our society leans upon, such as the law, our value structures, and many schools of thought within Western philosophy. The Bible is timeless, very meticulously laid out and ordered, and this is important as there is a clear reason why the first story we we hear about the first humans born into sin is, you know, just like us, just like born, just like us, is a story of sacrifice and reward. Now, as far as the Bible is concerned, this idea is one of the deepest rooted elements of what it means to be human. And as far as what I can derive from the Bible, it is something that is ingrained in our nature. However, if we are to understand the process of sacrifice and reward from a transcendental point of view, then we must first explore the faculty of potential that underlays this process. The definition of potential is latent qualities or abilities that may be developed and lead to future success or usefulness. Take for a moment um, just any dog, just a dog. No matter how hard you train it through any means of conditioning, the dog itself can never grasp the idea that sacrificing whatever may be non-beneficial about itself at that moment in exchange for a better self in the future. It just doesn't have that faculty. And this faculty to identify potential is exclusive to humans. And as a result of a long period of time of reflecting on this idea, I propose that this faculty is, as a, res- is a result of being made in the image of God. And this is supported by the story of creation in the Bible. If we read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, we read, 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. According to the Bible, before God created the world, it was filled with nothingness and without form. Essentially, there was nothing that could that could be done in, with it with it in its current form. But underneath that, we have to realize that what God actually did was, you know, identify the potential in the formless void that lay before him and made it manifest into something in which he viewed as good, as is mentioned multiple times throughout this chapter as he creates the world that we come to know today. Now, one has to wonder, why is this, why is the story of creation written in this way? Why do we not receive an introduction to God, to um, the God that created the world? Why is it that the first we hear about the Lord God Almighty, why is it that this is the first we hear about the Lord God Almighty, Elohim? I believe the answer to this question is the nature of God is revealed within these scriptures. He is introduced as the almighty being that has the ability to bring about actuality from literal nothingness. He identifies potential in nothingness and has the power to make it manifest into something that is of use. Thus he bears the title of Elohim, meaning Supreme One, and he does so using his true word. Because as Christians we believe that every word of God is true. So as God speaks into the chaos, he brings about a truth in order. So God went on to create human beings in his own image. As the Bible goes on in verse 6 to say, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. This is important as what is taking place here is essentially God creating a mirror image of his nature in humans, albeit having infinitely less power than himself, but still powerful enough to perform acts that can only be performed by self-evidently divine beings. This is why the nature of God cannot be exhibited in any other animal other than human beings. One of these natures is the ability to identify potential and bring forth something out of that. Although the ideas of I sacrifice and reward may be looked at in an, in an arbitrary or mundane manner, after looking at the story of creation with the level of observation that I believe is necessary, it becomes clear that our ability to extract actuality out of potential is inextricably linked to the creation of the world as far as the Bible is concerned. This, whether or not you believe in God, that's, that's irrelevant, but this makes us divine beings. And as you behave as though it is, it is true despite what you, and essentially you behave as though it's true whether or not you believe this. And um, you know, because you identify particular situations and you bring forth order and, and actuality out of your potential. Whether or not you believe in God, you behave as though you were a divine human being. And it's the same, you know, and we all know that other human beings have intrinsic divine value. 
because if you had the choice between saving, um, I don't know, saving a, tur a turtle and um, another human being or another human child, when you only have the choice to save one, you're going to save the human child because you identify that there is something that is intrinsically worth, you know, that is worth something within that child more so than just a turtle. Okay, that was a silly example, but you, you, you get what I'm trying to um, portray here. So, the inability, well, sorry. The idea of sacrifice is deeply rooted in the faculty within us to extract actuality out of potential. And the process is as follows. First, you identify something that announces itself as in need of repairing your life or in need of ordering, regardless of its severity. The second is, you are able to envision a future whereby that thing that is in need of repair is resolved, and you are able to bring a bridge, build a bridge between who you are in that moment and who you can be. And third, you make a decision to pursue that actuality, and the sacrifice you pay for choosing to pursue that is who you are right now. And this innate ability to bring about a favorable future through identifying potential and determining a process to bring it into actuality, through sacrificing who you currently are, is exactly what the nature of God has installed within us. Now, you know, we can make a parallel between this and, you know, what Christianity is. It is leaving the old self. It is identifying that this is who I can be through reading the word of God, leaving alone what it is that you used to be and pursuing what it is that you read in the word of God that you now see as your identity and bringing that into actuality through prayer, through reading the word of God and through creating a relationship with the Lord God Almighty. That is what we do as Christians. We identify that, wait, my life is in chaos right now. I am living in sin. I am, you know, I am destined to hell, whatever the case may be as far as your thought process is concerned. And then you make the next step. This is for Christians, because I know that, you know, at this point, I'm losing the atheists and the agnostics, but bear with me. And from that point, we then realize that, okay, if I was to sacrifice everything that I love now, everything that I that I see as gain now, um, because, you know, as you walk into the Christian faith, there is a sacrifice of your old self. You are now walking into an actuality that you had identified at the point whereby you decided that this is something that I need to pursue. And this is again nested in the fact that we are made in his image because we'll go back to Genesis chapter one, whereby God was, was you know, God had chaos and through the chaos that he had, he spoke into it and he brought forth order. He brought forth truth. And this is what I'm saying that because we have that same faculty that God has given us in the fact through the fact that we are made in his image, we are now able to identify potential. We are now able to sacrifice who we are now for who we want to be in the future. And this is, you know, this is something that we enact on an everyday basis. But I know that, you know, it can be seen as mundane. It can be seen as something that is so obvious that we no longer see it as anything special. But, um... Yeah, this is, this is, you know, what has brought me to understand what it means to be made in God's image. What these mundane things that we do on an everyday basis actually mean and how it, how it shows us our spark of divinity that is installed in every single one of us.
through being made as a, being made in his image. Now, not all of us are God's children because the only ones who are his children are those who have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. However, we have been made in his image. And because of that, you have a divine spark within you. And that doesn't mean you're going to make it to heaven. Let me just say that now. Unless you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you will not make it into heaven. This is my firm belief. This may offend some people, but I am not offending you. You are offended by the word of God, not by me. I am merely stating what the word of God says. However, with the whole point of this podcast is to just talk about, you know, what it means to be made in the image of God and the different mundane things that we may see as, you know, um, every day or just a part of life that actually show us that there is a God out there. He does care about your behavior. He does care about you. And he does want you to be saved. He does want you to be like him. So, you know, and I mean that in terms of we, we all strive to be like Jesus Christ. But um, yeah, that's, that's the end of the podcast. If you guys have any questions, then just uh, let me know. Message me. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a comment section. I don't know how this podcast thing works. But, you know, drop a question in the comments. And um, yeah, let's let's have a conversation about what it means to be made in God's image. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this this episode. I'm sorry if the if the quality isn't to your liking or isn't you know perfect. I'm new to this. I'm learning every day. But um, yeah, let me know what you think. I'd love any kind of feedback. And um, yeah, God bless you. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray you do come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, yeah, my name is Tatenda Kanyera, and this is the Unapologetics Podcast.